0: Welcome to another episode
1: of Me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick, the me part, and there's Mr. 80s. Hey
0: everybody, it's Daryl. Thanks a lot for joining us again here on Me and Mr. 80s. Today's going to be an interesting show because we're going to try to settle some of the great pop culture debates of really the last 50 years. So... And I know you've all been waiting to find out what we think about stuff that happened before we were born. So, <laughs> there'll be a lot of stuff from after we were born, too. But we did want to take a little time at the top of the show, because as we're recording this, uh, the country is still reeling from the loss of Whitney Houston, who was found dead in a Beverly Hills hotel at the age of 48. We're kind of of two minds about this. I could have very easily attempted to devote an entire show to talking about the loss of this great talent. Um but you kind of came at it from a different side, which was uh, I'm
1: sorry that she's uh... There we go. Interesting. I'm sorry she's gone, but uh she was kind of gone before she left, you know. Uh, she had a great career. She had, you know, two incredibly solid, you know, her debut album still one of, you know, great pop debuts. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And, you know, an excellent follow up to that. And then she just sort of started to decline, you know, career wise. And then she just fell off the deep end with drugs and Bobby Brown. And, you know, could she have dug her, you know, herself out of that? You know, uh, something I saw said that she was readying a, a new movie and a new album and she was on that comeback trail. But it seems like for a lot of people, that's usually where it ends. I mean, you know, uh, Someone like Stevie Ray Vaughan um, gets clean, gets off of drugs, starts to come back, and then dies. You know, it's you know something that seems to happen a lot in uh,
0: music careers. Same thing with Sam Kinison. Yeah. Everybody said he was starting to clean up his act, then he ends up ironically getting hit by a drunk driver and and dies. Yeah, that was sad. Uh, From my perspective, uh, I was trying to think about this. I can't. I don't think that, other than Michael Jackson, I don't think there was a bigger uh, black crossover artist in the '80s than Whitney Houston. Absolutely. And you know, the '80s, even though we like to think of it as being a, a very progressive time, it was still the era where it did take Michael Jackson, the biggest star on the planet, to desegregate MTV. Mm-hmm. And so there was still a lot of of racial. Division, since that was a really big accomplishment. So, I mean, she loomed very large over the 80s and then really had her greatest success in the 90s with uh, that hit on the Bodyguard that was, uh, what, the <laughs> longest-running number one single in history, something like 14 weeks. I wonder how Dolly Parton fit, about, felt about that. You know? She felt pretty awesome because of the royalties. Oh, royalty checks. Yeah. There you go. She, she said, yes, that was very good for her. Cha-ching. <laughs> uh, But another thing I've been wondering about is if Whitney Houston deserves to be in the same category as Rick James. Because in my mind, Rick James is probably my own personal uh, poster boy for squandered talent. Hmm. But I don't know if Whitney ever fell into the extremes of self-parody that Rick James did. Or maybe she did. No, see, I I
1: never paid attention to her uh, reality show.
0: Yeah, me either. And
1: so I think if there's going to be self parody, it would have been on there. I mean, uh, you know, it never it never seemed to uh, it seemed to garner her her a lot of attention and kept her in the limelight, but it never did it for the right reasons.
0: And uh, I know. also I also you know wonder how fair it is to demonize Bobby Brown. I mean. I'm not here to say that Bobby Brown is a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but, and I do remember when they got together, everybody was kind of scratching their heads with, you know, America's sweetheart, Whitney Houston, is marrying the guy who likes to simulate humping his fans on stage. (laughs) Um, Sometimes do more than simulating. But, (laughs) but isn't that really the worst that he was known for? It was just a different time. That was so shocking that he would bring strangers up on stage and hump them. I mean, he wasn't really known as a big drug user or anything. No,
1: but he he was a bad boy, and he was you know he was an asshole. I mean, uh, I remember seeing uh, when New Edition reformed and they were on uh, Oprah, Mm -hmm. and everyone comes out in the same outfit. And of course, as soon as they start singing, Bobby immediately rips his shirt off so that he's now the only one <laughs> dancing around with that. He's just, he's, he's a, he's a very, he seemed like he was very, uh, for me, you know, very self centered kind of person, which seems like odd for, uh, you know, America's sweetheart to go for such a bad boy, but I have a feeling that's, you
0: know yeah. what must that's, have attracted I guess that's probably a good way to put it i mean i think that bobby brown was a total dick i just don't know if he deserves all the blame for ruining whitney houston
1: yeah i don't know how she how did she get on crack i never even heard where that came from i mean I don't know that to me I, I think the drugs were the downfall but i can't believe that bobby brown was you know just you know handing her crack saying here have fun
0: so really in the final analysis, uh, I am going to remember, and maybe, maybe I'm a Pollyanna, you can say that I'm misguided for this, but I'm just gonna remember that beautiful, fresh-faced 22-year-old who, uh, you know, burst onto the scene with a couple of fantastic uh, pop albums and, and entertained us all. And her first just,
1: single was "Saving All My Love for You." Is that right? Her very first
0: single was uh, um, "You Give Good Love." That's it. There you go.
1: I can remember the video, but I can't remember the
0: song. And thanks to MTV. <laughs> <laughs> so I just—it's sad. Yeah, I guess we'll it leave it at that, sad. and then shift gears into wacky comedy. <laughs> <laughs> hope well, everybody enjoyed the uh, lost episode, by the way. Kudos to you. for I don't know how you managed to recover that thing. Especially, what is it about computers? You're able to recover the lost episode, but not the last five minutes. That is so baffling to me. Well, when I
1: was recovering it, I, I couldn't... You know, the, the file was there, but I couldn't get to it. And it was... Uh, I had backed it up, but it was locked, and it was on an, a spare hard drive, and then I couldn't get it off the hard drive, and I had to, like, change the permissions. And as I'm... Uh, uh, taking it off of the hard drive, the hard drive crashes. So it crashed with the
0: last five minutes. So, so hey, maybe maybe we'll have like the lost five minutes <laughs> sometime in the future. There you go. You never so, know. So great debates. These are kind of some rapid fire. You know, a lot of things. You know, Coke versus Pepsi, McDonald's versus Burger King, Beatles versus Rolling Stones. These are kind of some arguments that we're going to we're going to settle right here, right now. Definitively, although I have a feeling we're going to have some draws. (laughs) So Coke versus Pepsi. You know, (laughs) I, I, I I've
1: been I've been big on Coke for the longest time. Until the Pepsi Max came along and it tastes like Coke. So as far as taste goes, Coke. Coke always wins for me. But I know that Pepsi Max or that Pepsi itself is bigger selling across the world.
0: And I will say, I love it when you're in a restaurant and you tell the waiter all oh, the Coke and they say, Is Pepsi okay? <laughs> are there really people in the world who are like, No, Pepsi's not okay? <laughs> are, are there really people that are that passionate about their cola that they're Fuck gonna you, I RC. <laughs> they're gonna stand up like a Frenchman and you know? Backhand slap the waiter. How dare you offer me Pepsi as a substitute for Coke? I've, I just always, in fact, sometimes I just say I'll have a cola. There you go. So that way there's, covers there's all the takes bases. To debate. So pretty much at a restaurant, if, if they have, I'll take whatever they have. But I will say, if I'm at a place where there's a cooler and there's Pepsi and there's Coke, I'm going for the Coke because I just think Pepsi's a little bit too sweet. There you go. But if you like Pepsi,
1: if you like Coke, Try Max because it is incredibly wonderfully caffeinated, which is one of the things I love about it, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed the They sponsor my life, so, you know. <laughs>
0: Does it have uh, ginseng in it too, or something? It does. Which I'm not sure what that's supposed to do. But it to me, give you it, a boner? Is that what it, ginseng does? <laughs> it's supposed to be good for like
1: memory and
0: oh, uh, so blood give, flow and all that kind of a, stuff. Oh, for blood flow. Blood flow. So it
1: does give you a boner. Circulation. So Pepsi Max will give you a boner. There you go. They all should right. put that on the box.
0: <laughs> That'll be their new tagline. Pepsi <laughs> hey, Max. already Get now, a boner.
1: <laughs> they're already trying to sell it to guys. they they're now the official uh, cola of the NFL. So there you go.
0: Yeah, there's NFL and boners. There's, bo- there's be- boners <laughs> to be had in that can. Uh, I, here's what I'm curious about, all right? I really want to get your opinion on this. 2,600 versus NES. Wow. Now, of course, we're talking about the Atari 2,600, which is, you know, the very first cartridge-based home video game entertainment system. Then the NES. Actually, there was
1: one before that,
0: the Valley System, but it is the, that was such a small run that yeah. Atari eclipsed it. Then in. the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, which rescued the video game industry oh, from the 1983 crash.
1: And pretty much started what is now the, the current console, you know, things of...
0: So know. pretty much you've got John Adams versus John Quincy Adams. That's kind of <laughs> what we're talking about here. And I, you, you know more about the broader spectrum of video gaming than I do, so you go first. Uh, I owned a 2600
1: m- way longer than everyone else on the planet did. I mean, I was, I was there until the, the last, you know, ringing of the death bells. And you know, I mean, I got so far into it that I'd gotten, there was a, a cassette add-on where you actually had to hook up a cassette player and the cassette had the video game on there so they could make them bigger and have more graphics. And I really went deep into that. And so as far as You know, classic video gaming, everything about it is better on the Nintendo. The graphics, the sound, um, but, you know, as far as everything, you know, part of my history, part of, you know, overall history... Atari has to win because there would have been no Nintendo without the Atari. It may not, it may have been a, uh, a bastardization of everything that you knew from the arcades. I mean, you know, the, uh, did you ever see the Pac-Man that was on the Atari
0: 2600? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 looked, it was terrible. It looked like a connect the dots game. <laughs> it didn't even have, but, like, the mazes on it, did it? It
1: had, it, well, it, you're, you're on a, you know, a four by three tiny screen, so your, your maze was, you know, like one block, you know, considering, you know, the entire screen would have been this big. I mean, it was just a tiny little bit of the, of the thing. And, you know, he was, he couldn't really chomp. He just sort of, you know, walked around. I mean, it was, it blinked because it couldn't handle all the graphics when the ghost started coming in. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. But it was the only thing you had. Mm-hmm. So you still played it. And as, as the console went on, at the end of its life, as all consoles, Get better at the end. Some of the graphics. I mean, there was a uh, uh, an Empire Strikes Back game where you were piloting the Millennium Falcon that I uh, remember enjoying the heck out of, and you know, it it was uh, it was great to be able to play arcade games at home. Yep. And you know, we still had you know we had uh, some of the classic Pong games and uh, casino games and all that kind of stuff, and it was you know. It was not anything at all as good as the uh, Nintendo you know uh, the graphics and the gameplay and some of the some of the early you know duck hunt and stuff for the uh, Nintendo you know are still fun games that you can play now and I you know I have tried playing I actually have uh, Atari's greatest hits on my iPad where they have not only their arcade classics but all of their twenty six hundred classics mm-hmm. on there. I don't really play the twenty six hundred classics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, they were great when I was, you know, six. But now trying to play a six on, you know, a or five on five uh, football game that <laughs> just blinks and <laughs> you can't really tell what the hell this block is and that block is. It it's not really fun. <laughs> well, th- this is
0: my my brief summation, I guess, of this debate would be okay. Uh, the Atari twenty six hundred. Okay, so it had a it had a terrible clunky joystick. Mm-hmm. It had wood paneling, for God's sake. (laughs) It had uh, graphics that basically looked like somebody had thrown children's blocks at your TV screen, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the coolest thing we had ever seen. Absolutely. And without John Adams, there is no John Quincy Adams. So the debate ends right there. It's Atari 2600. Yeah, absolutely. What I would throw in here is my personal favorite game system of all time. And I didn't want to make this a formal list because I know I'm in the, the minority here. Is the ColecoVision.
1: vision I knew you were going to go there, and i did I did enjoy that
0: I think the calico vision I don't think the ColecoVision vision has ever been topped Wow tell tell me how crazy I am for saying that
1: <laughs> well, you know the problem that I had with it now I never owned one I had one of my friends own it, so I would you know always go over and play him his uh, uh but the the pad that they, that it had, yeah, where it was kind of like the disc thing, television
0: the joystick was very stubby.
1: That and the Intellivision, to me, they tried to do too much. It was sort of like trying
0: to masturbate a dwarf. (laughs) Well, take your word for that.
1: (laughs) 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 But, yeah, both, both ColecoVision and Intellivision, to me, did not have... I mean, the 2600's joystick was clunky, but it really was, you know, in all of video game it's the only one that really had a big ass joystick that you could move around. Mm-hmm. Now the controls underneath it were crappy and you so you were always breaking them. But you know, even nowadays those little nubbins that you everyone <laughs> yeah. you know plays with now, it's just it's never been to me Atari 2600 that was that was the best design for a joystick.
0: Yeah, once once video game systems got too smart for joysticks, I was just like I was done. I was like don't don't if I've got to remember what button A through D does, forget about it. It's not even worth my time. Yeah. I did find out, because I've been wondering, okay, because you know, several years ago we went through this big renaissance where all of these home game systems were putting out those little plugins. They that mm-hmm. you plug right into the TV, which, of course, happened like two years before everything went digital, and now they're useless, but that's another story. <laughs> I mean, the obsolete again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found out why ColecoVision uh, did not get on that bandwagon, oh. um, and it's they're kind of a victim of their own popularity. It's because so much of what ColecoVision is known for is the arcade ports. Oh, and so they don't have the rights to any games that they're really known for. Because you know they were known for uh, Donkey Kong, they were known for Zaxxon. You know, they were mm-hmm. known for these incredible home versions of games that you could play in the arcade. And so that's kind of why it's become a footnote in video game history, because it did not really have any big, iconic game that was generated. It had
1: no Sonic or Pac-Man or something that it could call its own.
0: Yeah. That's true. Well, okay.
1: That makes sense. Um,
0: Rocky versus Rambo.
1: I'm going to say, for me, right off, Rocky. Uh He's the classic arch arch, archetype of the uh, hero. Mm -hmm. The uh, you know, I I remember being a kid, being kind of bored with the first Rocky, too much talking for my little head to handle. But after that, they started ramping up the you know the violence quotient and. Well, you know you're a kid you want you don't want to go you know, it's about boxing i don't want to hear you know him you know pine about his fucking wife i want to go <laughs> see him kick some some ass I, I want to see mr t come up and i want to see hulk hogan and you know the third one and
0: i've tried to sit through the original rocky i can't tell you how many times <laughs> and i can't get through it Did, didn't it win best picture oh yeah and you know I, I can't get through it. It's just a bunch. It's a bunch of people standing around in darkly lit streets, exchanging monologues. It's like, what? What's happening? And why is Bert Young so frickin' ugly? And is Talia Shire really worth all this trouble? No. 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 I've never seen Rocky two isn't Rocky Two pretty much they show Rocky one backwards isn't that what Rocky two is?
1: yeah, it's pretty much rocky yeah Rocky part two you know they just more talking a little more fighting. so really the the uh the era starts at three it started at three and it kind of ended at four because five wasn't really all that was the uh tommy Gun Morrison one whereas
0: yes, although I'll tell you Rocky Bobbola was not that bad, you know
1: I've never seen that i i rocky six yeah.
0: Was Why not I that call bad. it Rocky 6? Oh, I one actually, you know, Rocky 4 is a manipulative piece of commercial trash, but it's awesome. And that's Ivan mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. Because even Rocky 3 had too frickin' much talking. <laughs> <laughs> but he had the eye of the tiger, man. <laughs> so really, if you don't like talking, Rambo should be your man. Because there's very little talking in the Rambo movies.
1: Yeah, but he seems a little too... He, he seems like goth without the eyeliner. <laughs> okay,
0: so we've got a draw here, though. We've got our first draw. Because you're going Rocky, I'm going Rambo. And I will tell you why. Because I have watched First Blood and Rambo more times than I've watched any of you know, all the Rocky movies combined. So,
1: really? See to me if I'm you know to me for for classic movies I I call it the you know the uh, the TNT test if you're flipping through the channels and you hit you know TNT playing one of these things again which one are you going to stop and watch anywhere in the middle of the movie Rocky three I will always just stop and watch something of it Rocky you know Rambo one and two eh.
0: okay well then that using that test I would stop on on one of the Rambo films see there okay there you go. Which is you know, kind of surprising, but that's the way it is. Now, on a similar vein, then, so we've we've we have not really settled the Rocky versus Rambo debate, Stallone versus Schwarzenegger.
1: Oh, Schwarzenegger, I I love his early movies. I mean, uh, um, Predator, Running Man, uh, Total Recall. Um, I even liked Red Heat, although I haven't seen that in years. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, God, kindergarten cop, um, twins. You're leaving out some of his earliest stuff, though. You know, well, we know your love for Conan. Oh yeah, but you know, Commando, <laughs> Raw <laughs> Deal, Raw yeah. Deal is a never gets mentioned, and that's a, a, that's a nice little B movie. Commando, yes. Well, uh, didn't that one have uh, Alyssa Milano? Alyssa Milano. Yeah, we talked about that one in our kind of uh, forgotten '80s or favorite '80s movies. Yeah, show. Raw Deal, we did not talk about though, and that's a. Another pretty. That's pretty another cool. one I haven't seen any time recently, but I remember. It's a trifle. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's obviously a movie made before Schwarzenegger was Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And so it's a it's a much it's a smaller feeling kind of a movie, uh, but it's it's nice. It's a nice little secondary. Kind yeah. of oh, and thing. True Lies. I love True Lies. That was a great movie. Talk no. about movies that go on a half hour too long.
1: Yeah, that was the first one where I can think of going. Gosh, is this gonna? Is this the ending? No, wait. Is this the ending? Wait, is this? Yeah, Jamie
0: Lee looked great in that movie. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And now she
1: movie. just makes me want to poop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're gonna say Schwarzenegger wins that one, and yeah, is, handedly. This, this mean, is what I would say about that. Um, Stallone has Cobra. I mean, that sucked. <laughs> Pretty much for me, it's, it's, it comes down to longevity. I mean, in the 80s, yes, I understand why they were considered on the same plateau. Yeah. But uh, Stallone's career really sank like a rock. And, uh, I mean, he he did not do squat in the 90s. And that's, you know, Schwarzenegger just came on, kept kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So... <laughs>
1: All the way to the Senate or, or
0: yeah.
1: um, there was a cop or there was a cop movie that Stallone did the specialist no the, it was something that was just like a drama he was oh, like cop aland uh, copland that was a good one
0: yeah well, that, um, was, that was that was, me, that was of a his, drama more than any action that was one of his attempts at a comeback where he took like a supporting role in an oscar bait movie and it was it was a good movie i think that's one of those he like gained weight and played like a fat small town sheriff or yeah. Something. Definitely played out of character, but did a good job with it. Uh, Let me keep now, going down can, my list. Can I go uh,
1: on? That, that made me think of one, but I don't know if you're going to be able to. Uh, how about uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme versus Steven Seagal?
0: Yeah, I would have no opinion on that. Okay. I, I didn't
1: know. I, I, I watched both of those in their early careers. and
0: Although I would tell you this. One of my all-time favorite die-hard Anna movies is Sudden Death with Van Damme. And nobody ever talks about that one. That one, of course, is Die Hard at the Stanley Cup Finals.
1: Yes, yeah, I remember
0: that, and it's a really fun movie. So that's... better than
1: Die Hard on a Train, which was Steven Seagal's. Uh... God, I can't remember what that was. Um... I can't remember what it was. Hmm. Now I've drawn I, I've tried a to watch a...
0: Die Hard on a Submarine, which I know a lot of people love. Under Siege. Oh. Yeah. And I just couldn't get into that. Die Hard at the Stanley Cup Finals, I enjoy very much. Just the audacity of doing Die Hard at the Stanley Cup Finals already gets me halfway there, and then the fact that it is an entertaining film it just pushes it over the edge.
1: Yeah, Jean Claude had a had a lot of interesting, uh, has had a lot of interesting. You know, the the very beginning of his career with like uh, Cyborg and Kickboxer, you know, were very much. like Saturday afternoon fair, you know, almost like you know the the kung fu movies that you would see. They just sort of put an American guy in there, and you know the the plots weren't very good. <laughs> the acting was rather mediocre, but the the action was decent.
0: Wasn't it you that was telling me the big joke uh, in early in their careers was the way to tell Van Dam and Ponytail apart? Is that Van Dam's movies were one word titles, okay. and and Ponytail's movies were three word titles? Yes, out of time. Um, hard to Kill, hard to kill. Uh, God, I can't even
1: remember those names I've, you know, It's been long, so long since I've seen them Yes uh, And, you know I, Steven Seagal turns into a What is, what is he, a small town cop or something now In that reality yeah, like, show? Deputy
0: Sheriff or something <laughs> I don't know Yeah and, but it, you know, uh, The muscles from Brussels and the ponytail from Sunnyvale I really don't know if he's from
1: Sunnyvale <laughs> But it rhymes <laughs> Okay, well, I, I would say, uh, just in my own personal debate, that it would, Seagal had the better earlier career.
0: Okay, you need to track down. You've got Netflix, right? Yes. Watch Die Hard at the Stanley Cup Finals. Sudden oh yeah, Death. oh yeah. I'll have to watch that again. Good I, movie, really fun movie. Very commando esque You know, it just it goes down like a nice uh, refreshing soda pop. You don't you don't uh, you don't remember it as soon as it's done. But while you're watching <laughs> it, you just enjoy the crap. Uh, do you have some more you want to go? Oh uh, No, wanna go keep... ahead. Go. You've got the better list. Since we promised people stuff from before we were born, let's move into some older stuff here. Uh One that you had mentioned was York versus Sergeant. So we're talking about the two dicks <laughs> from Bewitched. Dick, Dick York, and then one day you turn it on, and Darren is now played by Dick Sargent. So, York or Sergeant? I liked York.
1: Um, I thought that... uh Darren number two was not quite as engaging or as funny.
0: I liked York as well because he originated the role. And here's something funny. Okay, Dick Sargent sounds like the name of a gay porn actor. And <laughs> it t- turns out that Dick Sargent was in fact gay. Oh. Uh, well, maybe this that's one his... <laughs> what? <laughs> maybe that's how he got his name. He... He's
1: like hanging out with porn stars and someone says, Hey, you should be oh. <laughs> Adam's Family versus Monsters. <laughs> I would say that I never, I never really watched either of those. Uh, I would watch, you know, just parts of episodes and stuff. But uh, I liked, uh, I liked Herman Munster. I, I thought, uh, what is it, Fred Gwynn? Yes, was. Uh, was a wacky little character, and I, I kind of, the, the whole uh, Morticia and... Gomez. Gomez. I, their relationship kind of annoyed me as a kid, so I would have to go with Monsters.
0: Well, the Addams Family was a cool
1: But I one. like Addams Family's theme better.
0: Really? See, now the Monsters, even though it didn't have lyrics, the Monsters had a pretty hot little surf rock uh, theme song. Da 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 yeah, catchy. But
1: I like the end. I like the I like the snapping and stuff. I just thought that was very mod, man.
0: Well, the Adams Family, of course, was based on a series of cartoons that appeared in the New Yorker.
1: Oh, I didn't know And the New
0: Yorker is a magazine for obnoxious elitist douchebags, right? Yeah. So that's several notches against the Addams Family right out of the gate. I would say. Uh, And the Addams Family was always supposed to be, like, about more than it was about. There's, like, these people that talk about the Addams Family as though it was some kind of really sophisticated satire.
1: Like High Noon, but...
0: (laughs) I don't know. The Munsters was there just to frickin' entertain me. Yes. Munsters wins. Now, wait, uh, who had a grandpa? Munsters. Okay.
1: Because I met him once. Oh, God. He was a crazy old coot. Yes, and I met him at Nudes a Poppin' with John
0: and Aaron.
1: So he was the MC of that show. Yes. So the least said about that, (laughs) better. I know. It's just a a wonderful little bit of wackiness as to that's where I meet Grandpa. Uh,
0: Okay, so. Uh, adams family elitist douchebags monsters populist entertainment monsters wins amen the big one <laughs> Beatles versus rolling stones
1: yeah now i you're, you're gonna debate me on this one because i i beatles all the way i i absolutely love the beatles still have have all the albums listen to them all the time thoroughly enjoy everything they do
0: and I actually, I wanted to devote an entire show to this at one point, but we never really got around to it. Maybe we, we still will one day. I am so deeply angered by the popularity of the Beatles because I just think... Overrated! Yeah. I, I, I just cannot, I cannot stress
1: enough how, how badly awful wrong that is. <laughs> I mean, they just, you know, they have influenced so many things in so many ways that you know, somebody would have created all of the stuff that they did, but instead they did it, and they did it all as one group.
0: You want to know um, how uh I, I, I think of the Beatles the way that uh, my friend Andy thinks of Debbie Gibson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Back when Debbie Gibson was popular. Uh... People used to compare her to Tiffany, and they would say, well, at least Debbie Gibson writes her own songs. And I'm paraphrasing here, but Andy's response to that was, well, that's great, but the songs are shit. (laughs) (laughs) And so all of this talk about how the Beatles introduced the self-contained writing unit to rock music, I appreciate that. That's wonderful. It would have happened sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, just this, this, this cult and this mythology that has. Basically, Beatles fans of the original Star Trek geeks, where they're parsing these lyrics I am the Eggman, cuckoo, could you, What could it possibly mean? It means that they needed some words to fill. That means yeah, they were doing too of, many drugs. And just the song, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, part of what annoys me about the Beatles is this cult that has grown around them. And I don't know how that happened, because it certainly isn't worthy of
1: that. I will tell you that I think part of what uh, keeps their uh, cult alive is the fact that they have endless amounts of unreleased material. I mean... But aren't the uh, alternate takes the same songs? Well, yeah, but like, uh, I downloaded this thing, uh, and it is the entire, uh, audio of the people, the people who were at the time of Let It Be, they had a, a crew in there who were taping, uh, videotaping and audio taping the entire recordings. Yeah, to make the movie. So they have the unedited, uh, audio, and it's like, I don't know, like seven days worth of audio. I mean, it's just like thousands of hours worth of audio, all unedited, all completely unspooled, that you can just listen to how they create songs and all the turmoil that was going on in the thing. And it's like most people will not like a band um, enough to warrant that kind of interest because I'm quite sure that there is that kind of interest, You know, there is that kind of tape rolling for, I don't know, Trickster. But, <laughs> but no one gives a shit about, you know, how Trickster created their, you know, pop metal crap. Don't treat so, me bad. <laughs> no, no, that was Firehouse. Oh, what was Trickster? I don't even remember what Trickster
0: is. Firehouse was Don't Treat Me Bad, huh? Which I think is a great song. It is. It's a fun pop song. It also it sounds like uh, it sounds like uh, if early Motley Crue had had been more pop. Mm, that's
1: an excellent, you know, I'm, I have to look up Trickster, because the only, they, the only reason they came to my mind, and I have no idea why, there was a video that they did where they actually went back to their high school, and shot the video for their song, you know, in the middle of their high school, and I always thought that was a, you know, like, a, an interesting concept, you know, kind of the, you know, the burnouts who go back and now they're considered heroes because they have a record contract. Well, I
0: certainly hope this is why people like this show, because we can interrupt a conversation about the Beatles to delve into Trickster.
1: <laughs> but so, um, you know, there has to be some sort of interest enough in the band to warrant those kind of things. But once it comes out, you can just, you know, endlessly throw, you know, stuff. I mean... Same way, you know, uh, Hendrix has so much unreleased, you know, he, he only recorded basically for four years, mm-hmm. yet they've been able to manage, you know, releasing unreleased footage for 30 years. So that kind of keeps, you know, his uh, his fans alive and it keeps them, you know, new fans interested and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I just, I need to say that... Um it's not as though I hate everything the Beatles ever did. I mean, I appreciate the fact that, yes, the the Beatles had some good songs. What irritates me, though, is just the very fact that I said the Beatles had some good songs. There's now um, millions of people out there going, oh, my God, how could you say that? Just some good songs. Every note they played was like Jesus crying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I can't be that ravenous about that. but to me, I, I'm always interested in hearing how do you come up with. I mean, that's one of the things i would gotten this, you know, uh, downloaded this all this audio is that I I like you know, hearing how how somebody creates, you know, something. There was a there was a video that I would heard about on a uh, podcast called uh, Comedy Film Nerds, and someone had mentioned. Uh, a video that they had on, uh, seen on video cassette um, by Charlie Chaplin, and it was you know like six episodes of, the, of a BBC series they kind of dumped onto one thing, and one of those episodes was one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. You've seen, uh, um, have you seen any Chaplin movies?
0: I've just you know seen the clip of him hanging off the clock.
1: Okay, well there was a, there was a, a, a movie, and I, darn if I'm drawing a blank on it here i know it was it was it was it was uh it was the one where he iconically uses the uh the forks into the uh potatoes to make it dance that's one of the few things if you've seen him you'll you'll recognize him doing that little dance so the this thing is like a half hour's worth of this episode and they show you how he created the entire thing off of nothing he was you know in a restaurant and he was doing a a thing and it wasn't really working but it was all improvised and so he he does that and then he builds on that and he goes okay that isn't quite working so i want to have you know th- i want to have this bad guy come in and he taunts the girl who has no money and Charlie Chaplin tries to help. Okay, no, that doesn't really work. So okay, I'm gonna have my you know the tramp come in, and he's gonna talk to her first, and then he's gonna, and it builds and it builds, and he then he says, okay, now I need a backstory. How did the tramp get there? And then so he you know takes this all the way back there, and then he puts in a a part about a you know a hotel room, and all of a sudden, you know, as you watch it, you you don't realize that it's this iconic, classic movie. But you see within a half hour that he builds from completely a nothing improvised scene into, you know, one of his most classic and perfect films. And it was just completely random. I and mean, he just, you watch him work through the footage of black and white footage, no sound, just watch him work and watch him. And it, was, it was absolutely one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen on how, how an artist creates genius.
0: So you're saying Charlie Chaplin was a member of the Beatles?
1: <laughs> no.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> but but to me that that is you know what I you know uh, I, I love about something like the Beatles is how do you, how did you come up with something that no one else created? You know, Beatles have you know created songs that have become iconic. But how did they become iconic? How did they sitting in a room just being four people create something? That has lasted 50 years.
0: Well, you know, Debbie Gibson was just a teenage girl sitting at a piano, and she created some songs that people still remember. So I'll just throw that out there, some love for Debbie G.
1: Yes, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Tiffany a whole lot more <laughs> for two rather <laughs> yes, large reasons. Two very large
0: reasons. <laughs> All right, so obviously you're on the uh, the Beatles side. There's Trickster,
1: I... by the way. I can't remember which uh, song they had, but I remember that album cover.
0: Was it was Love of a Lifetime.
1: No, that's, a wow, well, that's, that's Firehouse That's Firehouse too. too. Wow. You love the Firehouse. Which is also a uh, song from Kiss.
0: I haven't, I have not, I, I can't, I don't recognize any of those titles. Anyway, so about the Stones, I own about 10 or 12 Rolling Stones albums. I own zero Beatles albums, so there you go. <laughs> so we're going to call the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones a draw.
1: What's your favorite Rolling Stones album?
0: My favorite Rolling Stones album... Sticky fingers.
1: My favorite Beatles album is Sgt. Pepper.
0: And but the 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 Rolling Stones album I've probably listened to the most is Steel Wheels, simply because it came out in the '80s and I bought that one first, and so I had more time to. It Was actually just within the last uh, several years that I was like, you know what, my uh, my collection needs. Uh, the classic run of Rolling Stones records from the '60s through the '70s, and so I, I bought them all except for *Exile on Main Street* because I actually really? owned *Exile on Main Street* and did not like it. I actually ended up selling it. Wow!
1: I was going to say that's one of the few albums I've ever listened to all the way through to, and I liked it. But I, I, the reason I, I listened to *Exile on Main Street*, why I bought it,
0: Liz Fair. Oh, because of *Exile in Guyville*. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, we got a lot more to get through. Um, go for it. Icon of the 80s, Rubik's Cube or Pac Man? Now, I know there are much more. No, but I think those are two of the. But between those two, which do you think should count as the. Which which is the greater icon of the 80s, Rubik's Cube, Pac Man?
1: I think Pac Man is a more. Broad spectrum icon to everyone. I think uh, Rubik's Cube may not have, you know, people may remember, but maybe didn't own or didn't play with. But, I mean, I think just about everyone from that era either, you know, knew or played with, you know, played Pac-Man.
0: And this is a, a tough one for me because I, I see the merits of, of both. You know, from even from a visual perspective, the whole idea of the Six sided cube with the multiple colors versus the, you know, the pie wedge man, the yellow pie wedge man. Mm -hmm. They're both very iconic. For me, what it comes down to though is the decade ended up being about technology and progress and video where, so really, the Rubik's Cube was almost like a 70s hangover that Mm -hmm. just happened to come out in the 80s. Pac Man was much more about what the 80s were about. So Pac Man wins. I agree. Excellent. Um, Love Boat versus Fantasy Island.
1: You know, I never really watched Fantasy Island. As a matter of fact, I think I was a little... I don't think I was allowed to stay up most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Even
0: on a Saturday night? Wow.
1: But I do... I, I loved The Love Boat. I watched... I'm sure I've watched most of the episodes of The Love Boat. And even when it was in syndication, I would watch the reruns, so... Me, I, I loved the Love Boats. I loved the fact that they always had the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders on every other episode. <laughs> and Charo. And Charo. So there you go. Uh,
0: the Love Boat has one of the greatest uh, theme songs of all time. Absolutely. And maybe the most entertaining show that ever appeared on television. <laughs> wow, that's. When you just talk about entertainment, suspension of disbelief, being transported away, escapist, what's happened to it? I'm.
1: Does anyone even rerun that show anymore? I don't think it's, I've seen that in years.
0: It's kind of easing its way out of the D V D circuit. The first two seasons have been released, but my God, there was like nine or ten seasons. I don't really know if you okay. need any of the Ted McGinley years oh, no. though. <laughs> so I too, I would uh I would vote Love Boat. Uh this is one that's uh This one was personal just for me because I've been watching a lot of 70s, a lot of 70s stuff lately, Nick. I can't even begin to tell you. Mr. 80s is becoming Mr. 70s. (laughs) And uh, one of the shows I've been watching a lot of on DVD. You're going to crap your pants. What's happening? (laughs) No. Oh, no. It's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. I can hardly even say it. I don't don't even know how you're going to react. I don't even know how you're going to react to this. Quincy. (laughs) Really? Wow. And so it was CSI versus Quincy.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I, I gotta say I'm I've seen many more CSI than I have Quincy, <laughs> and I've not seen that many CSI. So, are you enjoying Quincy? Apparently,
0: I am. Uh, I am. I am. I am loving watching seventies TV shows on DVD because the pace is so much more relaxed. You know, uh, back then. TV shows, hour-long TV shows were 50 minutes Mm -hmm. because there was only 10 minutes of commercials. Uh, The last time I checked, which was when The West Wing was still on, uh, hour-long shows were down to 42 minutes, Mm -hmm. and so 18 minutes of commercials. And this, this, you know, it kind of happens every year. They shave off a little bit more programming time to make room for more commercials, and they. The show writers have gotten so much more adept at pacing So they can pack plot into that 42 minutes Mm -hmm. You actually, in a current hour-long drama Get a hell of a lot more plot Than you do in an hour-long drama from the 70s Hmm. Because they've just become so adept at those kind of story beats That makes sense that it's actually watching a 70s drama, it's so much more relaxing because you're not being bombarded every second with exposition and information <laughs> to keep things moving forward. It's more like watching a film, a feature film, where it can kind of take its time, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, you... okay, now I've,
1: I have seen some episodes of Columbo because I, uh, I've heard of his, you know, being an iconic character. I wanted to see some of his, and to me, uh, they they did they did seem rather slow paced, mm-hmm. and that uh, that is an excellent explanation as to why it seemed like that. But I don't know if I, you enjoy the pace, though, because mm-hmm. I don't know if I could I don't know if I could stand having you know, I just keep wanting them to go. Okay, get to the point. <laughs> okay, get there.
0: Well, and my problem is, you know, with as fast-paced as the world has become, and what we just explained about the 42-minute, hour-long drama is just a piece of it, but with, you know, Facebook and the information superhighway and stuff, some, there are some days where I feel like I am being so bombarded with impulse and, and information and stimuli that I feel like Scrat from Ice Age, you know? It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> so to actually have some entertainment that it's more like easing yourself into a nice relaxing hot tub <laughs> where you can just,
1: ah, you Quincy, know. Quincy, the
0: hot tub of TV. Quincy, the relaxing hot tub of television.
1: Um, so do they do more character study? I mean, how do they fill time when they're not expounding about the plot?
0: That's It's interesting because you back in 70s TV, they had not yet arrived at the delineation between story-driven and character-driven. Uh, I think all of all of the dramas at that point were probably considered themselves character driven because they all wanted to have uh, a memorable character that people would want to tune into every week and spend time with mm-hmm. um, but you know television also had had rightly earned its reputation as being kind of low rent entertainment. And so, what kind of passed for character development as far as television goes back in that era was like having Kojak like lollipops. You know, it was kind of kind of giving the character some kind of tick or you know some kind of trademark. You know, Columbo it was the eye and the jacket. You know that that's what passed for character development. So that's a long way of saying that. Uh, Yes, it was about the characters, but it, it wasn't as though you spent fifteen minutes of every show watching them drink a cup of coffee and read the paper or argue with their wife or whatnot. Like, I can
1: see like now it would seem like you know if you tried to develop a character you know uh, just I mean, from the few uh, episodes I've seen of cSI where like uh the the guy who used to be the lead character liked bugs Grissom. Yes, and so he would, you know, you'd have 15 more minutes of him talking about bugs or something.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> Pretty much everything is just slower and you get a lot more, uh, establishing shots. This is something I've noticed. You get a, a lot more establishing shots, um, when they're going into a, a new location. And so that gives you some time to kind of appreciate the architecture and, uh, the way that cities looked in the 1970s, which is, is also kind of a nice respite from the glass and the neon and stuff that we're constantly bombarded with uh, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, for an analog man in a digital world like me, it's uh, <laughs> it's nice. So it sounds like I'm voting Quincy, you're voting CSI, so we've got another draw. Yes, I'm watching Quincy, which is pretty much you know the diagnosis murder of the '70s. So I would have been I would have been 60 years old. So
1: yes. are they are they pulling the whole Matlock type thing where they're bringing in you know characters uh, character actors of the I don't know '50s. <laughs> uh, no, I've not uh,
0: I've not seen Sid Caesar or Milton Berle doing a guest shot yet.
1: Um, have you noticed any '70s? Uh, People from the '70s who have, you know, taken a character spot from this and gone on to something, you know, I don't know, Billy Crystal or you know something like that, where they've moved on to become iconic. Uh,
0: no, but I will tell you that um, the very first episode of uh, The Rockford Files, mm-hmm. um, the 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 star, the, the guest star villain, was James Woods. Oh, uh-huh. and James Woods uh, has had a nose job. Which I did not know until I saw this episode, but he had a really terrible, misshapen nose as a young man,
1: mm.
0: and and needed that desperately needed that nose job. I didn't even recognize him.
1: You just wait until the credits, and you're
0: like, wait. well, I was like, that's that looks sort of like James Woods, but James Woods does not have an ugly potato nose like that. <laughs> and Christie McNichol showed up in an episode of Starsky and Hutch, uh, but I think she was already Christy McNichol. At that point. Uh, Isaac Hayes did a guest shot on... Uh, a couple of guest shots on the Rockford Files, but he was already Isaac Hayes at that point. Who <laughs> uh, was just Isaac Hayes? He was Isaac Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, do, 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 do. Going to do some quick hits. Thick crust versus thin crust.
1: I thoroughly enjoy thin, the thick crust. I always pick that. But, you know, thin crust is what I would go for as the change of
0: pace. I think that. um, Okay, how to say this? I've got a great analogy, but it's a disgusting analogy.
1: Well, you're in a great place.
0: I think that thick crust pizza is the guy with a big penis of the pizza world. Since it's got a thick crust, it thinks it doesn't have to work as hard. (laughs) It's kind of like, oh, look at me. I've got lots of bread. I'm going to fill you up anyway so I can skimp on toppings and sauce. You know? I just think with a thin crust, you're more likely to get a total pizza experience. With a thick crust, you're just going to get a big gob of bread.
1: I can understand that. (laughs) Totally wrong, but I can understand that.
0: Boxers versus briefs. This is a big one. Boxers? I do boxer briefs. <laughs> because, <laughs> Way to ride that line. Because boxers, uh, they cut off the circulation of my legs when I sit down. Mm. Um, but uh, briefs, I'm not even going to go with that, but briefs just don't work for me. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's an almost draw. <laughs> Uh, you had found one that I think is interesting, uh, Pixar versus Disney. This is a controversy. Yeah,
1: wow. I mean Disney, you know, iconic movies of you know Bambi and Snow White and even the later era of, you know, uh, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, but frankly, I, I Pixar has not done anything I've not I have not the uh, The Incredibles. I I did not enjoy as much as everyone told me I was going to, but other than that, every other thing they've done I've thoroughly enjoyed.
0: Well, I got to tell you, my uh, if I if I'm going with my heart, my heart would say Pixar automatically because they're responsible for one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Toy Story Two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just think that is a just a brilliant movie and a joy to watch and just great, but. If I'm being completely honest, it's really all been downhill since then for me. Oh, really? Um, You didn't like Toy Story 3? Haven't seen it yet. Oh, wow. You're going to love that. Um, But (laughs) I I didn't find Finding Nemo to be all that awesome. Didn't really like the Incredibles. Didn't like Cars. Hmm. Didn't see Up. Didn't see Cars too. Oh, uh, Up was, was, uh, yeah.
1: Up was good. Up, Up was good. Up, I guarantee you, that opening will make you cry. Uh, that is just a tear jerker of an opening.
0: So it looks like we got a draw there. Yeah, uh, well, you know,
1: Disney has had the longer career, you know, and they have had more chances to 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 fail. But you know Pixar stuns me at how well they do in putting out really entertaining movies.
0: McDonalds versus Burger King.
1: Um, I've always, uh, when I was, uh, 15 and needed to, you know, get a job and figure out how the whole world worked, I wanted to go to Burger King because if I'm going to work someplace and get free food, I wanted Burger King's food. (laughs) I still enjoy their food.
0: Burger King food tastes better than McDonald's food. Yeah. So Burger King wins.
1: Although I do, I, have you had the, uh, Angus burger from McDonald's?
0: I have, and it's just kind of like two of their tasteless burgers jammed together.
1: I thought it was a little tastier than I expected. So, uh,
0: Here's one for you, since I have not seen either of these. I'm hoping you've seen both of them. Airwolf versus Blue Thunder.
1: Ooh. I have seen both of them, and I remember liking Blue Thunder more. But I probably haven't seen either of those since they came out, so I really couldn't tell you much more than that. Uh, Different Strokes versus Webster. Oh, I love Different Strokes. I mean, you know, you can't beat what you're talking
0: about with us. Yep, Different Strokes. That's really kind of a gimme. (laughs) At least for us. Home Depot versus Lowe's.
1: I like Lowe's more.
0: All right. I have no opinion. One's orange and one's blue. That's pretty much how I can tell them apart. Butt versus chest.
1: I I assume you're talking about what you like to look at uh, on a woman. I
0: I was going (laughs) to say butt versus boobs, but I thought that sounded sexist, so I changed it to butt versus chest. (laughs) Tits versus asses.
1: Yes. (laughs) Wow. You you just can't go wrong. I mean... (laughs) I think myself is a draw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're going to go for both. I think both. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going go to go ch- for chess, so that gives chess the edge. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Murphy versus Pryor.
1: Wow. As far as, as far as movies go, I'd have to say Eddie Murphy. Um. But, gosh, you know, as a stand-up.
0: It's a tough I, one.
1: I, I think I'd go with Pryor for, you know, uh, what was his uh, Live at the set Sh- Strip or something? Yes. Is that the, that's, yeah. I was never as big a fan of uh, Delirious and Raw as everyone else around me was.
0: Uh, Raw was way too mean. Raw was just, Raw had way too much mean. Humor. He was very angry at being famous at that point. Very angry at women. Uh, Delirious, I will tell you, has got a lot of classic bits, but when you watch it today, it is quite shocking how just in 30 years this country has evolved in its attitude toward homosexuals because uh, the the gay-based humor that he did in Delirious just falls absolutely flat now. <laughs> it's It's just offensive. It's not even funny. Wow. Which back then, we all laughed our asses off about it. And it's just, it's not funny. It's its actually reprehensible. It's really quite sad. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I love Murphy. I do too. But he only had six good years. <laughs> uh, I think we're calling this one for prior. All right. And... I've saved the two most difficult for the last, and I don't know how much time we want to develop to uh, devote to them. DLR versus Sammy. <laughs>
1: well, very fitting after we just you know got done listening, sampling the uh, the new Van Halen album, which sounds exactly like a wonderful classic Roth era album. Um, but boy, I do, I, I do love you know, the the Sammy era. Also, that wow. Which would I? Well, as far as albums go, I think I'd probably pick Roth. Really? Because I think I, I I listen more to uh, Roth era albums. I mean, I listen to Fifty One Fifty is my still my favorite uh, Sammy era. Mine too. And I listen to that one more than the rest of his, but I'll still listen to, you know, uh, 84, uh, Fair Warning, um, uh, regularly. So, hmm yeah, I, I guess I would probably, as far as full albums go, I would say Roth.
0: And I've always said that I like both eras. You said the same thing. Oh yeah, Oh, I we, we, totally we love both eras. both eras. But for me, it probably would be fifty one percent Sammy, forty nine percent Dave. Ooh. So I guess that's a draw.
1: Wow. And I, yeah, I'd probably go the other way. I'd say fifty one Roth,
0: forty nine Sammy. And then the big one: Michael Jackson versus Prince. <laughs> wow. I, I, you
1: know, I I do, I do think that Michael Jackson has some great songs. But in the same argument that I was using for David Lee Roth, I love some of Prince's total albums. I mean, you know, Purple Rain, even you know, Love, Sexy, uh, which thank God since they only made one track, the fucking thing, you idiot. Uh, I can just put on an entire album of his. But I, as far as you know. I have listened to singles from Michael Jackson since they came out, but I've never listened. I've not gone back and listened to all of Thriller. Mm -hmm. And as far as every other album since then, I've never listened to albums, you know, the entire album. I would just listen to tracks from them.
0: This is a really tough one.
1: Uh, But I think Man in the Mirror is one of the best pop songs ever.
0: Because? It's just fabulous. You know, like when, when I when I say to myself, Michael Jackson versus Prince, uh, for me, I'm talking about uh, Off the Wall and Beyond Michael Jackson. I'm oh, not yeah. even taking into account oh, yeah. Jackson Five and stuff like that. Exactly. And so, if that's the case, they actually start at about the same time because mm-hmm. Off the Wall comes out in '79. Prince's first album comes out in '78, right? Yep. Uh, and then Michael's last classic album comes out in 1987 with Bad. I know there are pockets of people who say that Dangerous is a classic album, but I just I can't go there. It's got some good songs on it, but it's not a classic album. Would you agree with that assessment? I would agree. Uh, Prince's last classic album, this gets difficult, because if we're talking about runs, uninterrupted runs, I think it has to end at 88 with Love Sexy, because even though I thought Diamonds and Pearls was a nice rebound, I just can't that graffiti bridge or whatever oh, that, that came in that came out in 1990, I just thought it was such a pile of crap that I can't count that as a run of excellence.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So we're basically from 78 to 88. We're looking at, at this run where these two guys were really on a roll. All right, Prince's debut album, For You, is not that good. No. His, Some good songs. His second album... Is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then he really gets on his run with Dirty Mind. Now, basically, from 1978 to 1988, Prince is putting out an album a year. In that same span of time, MJ manages three albums. (laughs) So then it becomes, can we even compare apples to apples? Since Prince pretty much put out three times as much work as Michael did. Yes,
1: but you know uh it's almost like you know can you, i don't know to me it, com- it almost comes down to thriller versus purple rain because you know you they they're even on either sides of those two but both of those are pretty much uh i don't know best out al- you know could be you know like best albums of 80s best albums of their careers best album of you know, most people's lifetimes. I mean, it's just those are, you know, like uh, those are like the benchmarks of both of those uh,
0: of both of those eras, and they're both pretty close to each other. And I would, I would agree with everything that you just said, but I would also I would I, as you as you as you were saying that I'm going yes, that I feel the exact same way. But then it kind of occurred to me, same era. You know, let's talk about you know the same. 83 for MJ, 84 for uh, for Prince. Mm-hmm. You get a sense that Prince could have easily made Purple Rain a double album, and it would have been just as good. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yet, do you feel as though at the same point in his career, Michael could have made Thriller a double album, and it would have been just as good? I don't. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right with that. I mean, I think there's not. Well, how do you feel about? I mean, the second side of Thriller. Because I think you know, to me, if there was going to be more of Thriller, it would have been, you know, to me, I think the, the second half is the lesser known, lesser listened to, yeah. less hits version, and I think they would have filled that. You know, but if you look at the second side of Purple Rain, you know, it ends with one of his most iconic songs ever. You know, I mean, it ends, you know, it has Purple Rain, it has Nicky, and that's just the second side. And to me, I always think of, like, albums, it seems like, you know, you would stack hits on the first side, lesser ones on the second side. Or, you know, lesser stuff on the second side, maybe packed in between... Hits at the beginning and the end of the side,
0: so I don't know if you feel the same way about albums of that of that era. Well, my two favorite songs off of Thriller are "Want to Be Starting Something," which is track one side one, and "Pyt," which is in the middle of side two.
1: Because
0: hmm. I just think it's a perfect pop song. Pyt. I know that's considered one of the lesser tracks on Thriller, but I love that song. So I would think that you know, to
1: me, the representation of If they had extra albums, it would be more like the track, like the Side 2, than it would be Side 1.
0: But then my favorite songs on Purple Rain uh, are probably, and it's really hard to pick favorites off of either one of these records, uh, probably at this point in my life I would say Computer Blue and the title track. Really? And so again, we've got one off the Side 1 and one off the Side 2. I just think "Computer Blue" is such an amazing song. I don't get hear I
1: don't hear a lot of people say that about "Computer Blue," so good on you. Uh,
0: it's tough. This is really tough because "Off the Wall" is a great album. "Thriller" is a great album. "Bad," although it is much more calculated, is still <laughs> a good album. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was scientifically formulated to be a good album, so it, it might as well be right. Yes, but what was what was the
1: the album after uh, Purple Rain?
0: Uh, Around Which, the world in a day,
1: right? Which I love. Yes, but wasn't that not a big success? I mean, it Raspberry would. Beret seemed like a big hit, but it didn't seem like the album itself. I mean, because he kind of he kind of dipped critically after that. I mean, wasn't it like it was uh, Around the World in a Day and then uh, Under the Cherry Moon mm-hmm. and then Um, the one that I'm trying to think of, what was... uh, Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times. So, you know, as far as critically goes, he kind of, like, dipped down and then came back up with... But...
0: I I always viewed around the world in the day as the equivalent of Springsteen following up the river with Nebraska. That it was done on purpose. That it was kind of, okay, this is getting a little out of control. Let's take a little pause here. And so even though... Around the world, the day was not the blockbuster that *Purple Rain* was. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it really reflected poorly on the artist himself, because I think it was intentional. It was designed to be difficult. It was designed to not be as commercially accessible. It was designed to test the audience, just the same yeah, way I *Nebraska* was. You know, I could see Prince doing that. So it wasn't. It it was not a failure. It wasn't as though he. It wasn't as though it was made with the intention of. Okay, I've really got to capitalize now.
1: But isn't it interesting that? Uh, You know, that Jackson goes from thriller to the calculated success of bad, where Prince goes from, you know, to the calculated unsuccess of, (laughs) you know, around the world in a
0: day. That is interesting. What do you think that means?
1: That Prince didn't like being famous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which he definitely showed.
1: And, you know, Jackson already knew fame from being the Jackson 5, so if someone says, hey, we want to craft a perfect pop album for you, I'm sure he'd just say, okay, sure.
0: Yeah. I can handle this. (laughs) Obviously, not well, but. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk um, favorite albums from these particular runs. So um, for for, for Michael, for Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad, obviously the one I've listened to the most is Thriller because Off the Wall didn't really come into my life until much later, but I would have to say my favorite album of those three is Off the Wall. Really? My favorite albums from the Prince run that we were talking about, Uh, if I'm going to pick one album for Michael, that represents a third of his output, so (laughs) I've actually got what represents a third of Prince's output, which would be Controversy, Purple Rain, and Sign of the Times. (laughs) Um,
1: I would probably put my three prints as Purple Rain, Sign of the
0: Times, and Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are killing me! I, I really do love that album, even though he's only on it for like a sixth of the record. Yeah, okay, maybe not a sixth, he, but
1: well, but all of the songs on there. I mean, even the uh, Tevin Campbell. I liked that song, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I loved the Time songs on there. Um, tick, tick, boom. Um wow, it's been a while since I, I I was just listening to this recently as a matter of fact, but I can't think of the names. But uh oh well uh, the maybe the Staples song was eh, it was okay, but you know, his stuff with the MPG, yeah, I just I thoroughly enjoyed that as an end of his uh classic era.
0: I'm starting to wonder if we should keep talking about this in a different show or if we should try to settle this here and now. Um,
1: well, do we have do we have other things we could add on to this? We can make this a, a two show two show concept.
0: Um I mean because we've exhausted the, the list that I had brainstormed of great debates. I specifically left this one for last because I knew <laughs> that it was gonna be I just wasn't expecting it to be this rich. <laughs> Because we're not really any closer. We've been talking about it for, what, 15 minutes now? And we're mm-hmm. not any closer to settling it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's a hell of a good debate.
0: Um, the, the reason I mention that is because you know, I wanted to talk about controversy because I have always felt that controversy has gotten the, uh, the short shrift in the debate of Prince's classic era discography because it seems like it's characterized... One of two ways, neither of them flattering. People either consider it a lame attempt at carbon copying the formula of Dirty Mind, or they consider it the beginnings of a sound that he really didn't perfect until 1999. So it's kind of like this squeeze play going on where people think of it as, depending on their perspective, the lesser of either the album that came before it or the one that came directly after it. And I happen to like it more than either one of those two records. Wow.
1: Well, uh, I would say that... It didn't Controversy come out, like, really quickly after uh, Dirty Mind? I mean, it was...
0: Well, they were all coming out so fast. I mean, he literally was putting out an album a year. But I, I don't know how many months were in between. Because I know uh, Dirty Mind is 80, Controversy is 81. Yeah.
1: And I was... Uh, I remember seeing something about his... Uh, he was playing some sort of, uh, of a date, uh, like it had listed like two dates where he was playing live and they were only like three months apart, but they, one was all dirty mind and the next one was all controversy as far as the playlist goes. And you're like, that seems like an odd switch for that short of a span. Like mm-hmm. he, like he had everything done and he just released, you know, them in quick succession. So it, it maybe you know to his mind it was all kind of like one album that he just didn't release as a double album, and if you look at it like that, then you know how can you really you know slag controversy when it was more of a you know like a like a one concept creation of Dirty Mind. I, I remember they even didn't even like a, the double sided double sided cassette exactly.
0: Yeah, that, back, back when they used to back when they used to do that. Of course, Prince was never into gimmicks like that, so it must have been before he had like total control over his career. But (laughs) Warner Brothers did. They put out a cassette, and on one side was Dirty Mind, on the other side was Controversy. Probably they released it in the afterglow of 1999 (laughs) to kind of get the white audience up to speed on what he'd been doing. Because really, 1999 was kind of the first time he broke big with the crossover audience. Oh, yeah. But what do you I mean what do you th- we've never really talked about controversy. I mean I, th- I think you're aware that it's one of my favorites but we've never oh, yeah. really talked in depth about about your thoughts on it cuz I know it's it's not one of your favorites. Well
1: it, to I never really had that much of a chance to listen to it. You know from when I started listening to Prince it was Purple Rain and then moving forward to his you know the the ones we were just talking about with the mm-hmm. Raspberry Rain and all that kind of stuff. So I I always meant to go back I always wanted to buy that cassette. But it wasn't really until much later where I started listening to, uh, Controversy and Dirty Mind and For You. And, um, I liked them, but, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it's always one of those concepts of where you started in someone's career. And since I started at Purple Rain, I never quite got as involved with his earlier career yeah. stuff. More for you know, uh, the, the songs, um, that's why I was trying to remember, you know, uh, the the song lists. Um, I I've, I know more of the uh, the hit singles or I guess, the you know singles that have lasted from those rather than the whole albums.
0: Yeah, well, Dirty Mind was uh, the title track. Uh, Uptown Party Up. Uh, when You Were Mine. Uh, Head Sister. And where's and then controversy is the title track. Sexuality, do me, baby. Private joy. Any Christian, jack you off. Um, which you know, controversy is uh, a seven and a half minute kind of sprawling <laughs> synth disco kind of a uh, epic, awesome sound. Uh, sexuality is kind of that distilled into four minutes for radio play. <laughs> do me, baby. You know the huge ballad "Private Joy" uh, was actually covered and was a minor hit years later by Latoya Jackson, of all people. Uh, mm, I don't know that. Which has always and it's it's a perfect pop song. "Private Joy" is a perfect pop song, and it just goes to show how talented Prince is because it was a throwaway. He didn't do anything <laughs> with it. It could have been massive, but he did nothing with it. And then Annie Christian, which. Uh, takes on kind of, you know, Prince has never been known for being a strong lyricist, but he, he took a stab at some some topical stuff. And so he's talking about the Atlanta child murders. Mm. Uh, he's talking about the Reagan assassination. Uh, he's talking about Absgam, you know, things kind of of the era. But the, the most telling thing about that song, in my opinion, is the stripped-down production. It's very much uh, percussion-based. With just kind of some synth accents, uh, I believe kind of gave you a little preview of when Doves Cry. Uh, And and, you know, Prince has always been a lot more calculated than than people think. He he's always kind of left clues for where he was going. You Mm -hmm. know, for example, uh, you know, 1999, the album cover has reversed on it in Small Print and The Revolution. And then it was with Purple Rain that he finally makes this big push of my backing band is the revolution. Uh That's true. on on Love Sexy, he changes his fan club name to the new power generation. But then he doesn't you know it's years later then when he actually starts using that as a band name. Mm-hmm. And so I really always wondered if Annie Christian was kind of an early experimentation with you know that style of songwriting that you know, three years later, I mean, everybody remembers where they were the first time they heard When Doves Cry because it, it just sounded like nothing else on the radio. Yeah. So I just think there's so much to like on the Controversy album, and I just think it's such an important album in his career, and I'm just always surprised. At, it, I mean, it gets no love at all. Yeah, and
1: I, I, I completely agree with, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be... Um, It doesn't really seem to be talked about whenever I, you know, when I read about something about him and his earlier era. I mean, it seems like, it seems like the conversation starts at 1999. I mean, they just sort of, you know, and considering how many, you know, classic, you know, excellent songs that he has in, you know, throughout those four albums, it's amazing that, you know, and if they, if they talk about it, it's Dirty Mind. And, you know, I was looking at uh, the first one, Prince, which one of my favorite early songs of his was Why Do You Want to Treat Me So Bad. Yeah. And I just, I love that song. But uh, it's, you know, I, I I guess, I don't know. Maybe that's because 99 is when he kind of stepped onto MTV's, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So people kind of... Think that you know that's where it, that's where it started with them. So that's it, like with me in Purple Rain, where you know it kind of it kind of started there, and then they worked forward and they didn't look backwards. It's too bad.
0: I think, and so the the, the next aspect then of, of these two guys' careers we need to talk about are the later years because they both definitely <laughs> dropped off after the '90s. I mean, Prince had his. Last big push, I think, with Diamonds and Pearls in 91-92, which had it had a nice run. I mean, like five oh, singles yeah, off of it. great stuff. And that's pretty much his last record that had any kind of impact on the charts, wouldn't you say? Well, um, yeah. I mean, he really
1: he had that didn't kind of, have... Yeah. He had
0: that brief manufactured return with Musicology when he gave it away with the concert tickets and it counted towards SoundScan. <laughs> so I, I, let's throw that out, because it was juicing the results, really. So he dropped off after that. A way that. of juicing the results, though. Yeah, he dropped off after that. Uh, and then MJ, Dangerous, was a, a pretty decent success for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I think, that was 92 as well. It came out after Diamonds and Pearls. But he well, he also had
1: the, some of the some uh, success from that. What was it retrospective? Not retrospective.
0: Oh yeah, history volume yeah. one. Yeah.
1: So, um, I'd say as as far as chart topping goes, Michael wins there, because Prince really hasn't gone. You know, he's been releasing stuff. You know, I mean, he was doing stuff. Really off the radar stuff, you know, uh, fan club stuff, uh, self release stuff, singles. You know that uh, um, New Orleans, you know, relief song. And I mean, he's done a lot of stuff, but nothing that has gone, you know, big in the charts.
0: This is really hard because in the '80s, I would have said I would have said Prince, hands down. But now that I'm older and I've uh, grown to appreciate michael a lot more it's uh, it's harder for me to and you know we're t- we're keeping the child molestation thing out of it which you know, if he had ever been convicted uh we would probably put that in the official column but the fact of the matter is he wasn't and so in this country that means that he didn't do it and so we just have to
1: Leave behind. Is it just a musical concept? Yes,
0: just about music. Obviously, if he was a convicted child molester, we wouldn't be talking about him. Yeah. Um. This is a tough one. I know. I and I, I uh, just I, I feel like I want to just say Prince, of course. But I just I can't do it. But yet a draw seems <laughs> kind of namby pamby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I. I And then, you know, obviously with Michael Jackson being gone now, there's it's not like you can look to the future as to who will continue to do. Obviously, Prince is going to win the future. So if you look at past, you know, uh, the distant past, you could say Prince. You, you know, semi-past, I think I'd, I'd give it to Michael. And future wins by default <laughs> for Prince. So mm-hmm. I, as far as, you know, three categories, he wins two of the three.
0: So we're gonna say Prince. Are we give this one to Prince.
1: I almost think you know. Uh, well, yeah.
0: All right, we give it to Prince. And since the show has not gone on nearly long enough, let me recap <laughs> our decisions here. Uh, these are in no particular order. Coke versus Pepsi. We vote Coke. However, Nick wants to point out that Pepsi Max is good and gives you boners. <laughs> Dick York versus Dick Sargent. We go with Dick York. Diamond Dave versus Sammy in the Van Halen race. It's a draw. MJ versus Prince. You just heard it. After a half hour of exhausting hand-wringing discussion, <laughs> we give it to Prince. Beatles versus Rolling Stones. A draw. I'm for the Stones. Nick's for the Beatles. Butt versus Boobs. Nick likes both. I like Boobs. Boobs wins. Adams versus... Adams Family versus Monsters. We vote for the Monsters. Different Strokes versus Webster. Different strokes. Love Boat versus Fantasy Island, we vote for the Love Boat. <coughs> CSI versus Quincy, a draw. I'm a Quincy man. Nick's a CSI man. 80s icon Rubik's Cube versus Pac-Man, Pac-Man wins. Video game system 2600 versus NES, 2600 wins. Eddie Murphy versus Richard Pryor, Pryor wins. Rocky versus Rambo, it's a draw. Nick is Rocky. I'm Rambo. Stallone versus Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger wins. McDonald's versus BK, Burger King, BK wins. Thick crust versus thin crust pizza, it's a draw. Nick (laughs) likes thick, I like thin. Boxers versus briefs, this is almost a draw because Nick says boxers, I wear boxer briefs. (laughs) Not that anybody wanted to know that. (laughs) Home Depot versus Lowe's, Lowe's wins. Airwolf versus Blue Thunder, Blue Thunder wins. Pixar versus Disney is a draw. Nick votes Pixar, I vote Disney. And Van Damme versus Seagal, Seagal is the winner based on the strength of his early work. So there There you go. go.
1: So they should obviously weigh in with their own concepts here. See what they... See how, they, how we rated with them.
0: Yes, go to Facebook and like the Me and Mr. 80s Facebook page. Shoot us an email at Mister 80s at RocketMail.com. Visit our blog at Mr80s.wordpress.com. In all instances, Mister 80s is M-I-S-T-E-R-8-0-S. And good night, Tom Bray, wherever you are.